back to Basic Bible 101. Last session we were talking about Job and we had discussed that um, he was a good man before the Lord and yet he suffered greatly. Today we're going to study a different gen uh, gentleman who, uh, it's back to our study of the prophets and this young man um, is not such a good individual. In fact, he actually runs away from God when God tells him what he wants him to do. But for our purposes, before we begin the study of Jonah, I want to just do a quick review so that you kind of understand how we got here. If you look at the space between when we finished up with the Kings, which was First and Second Kings, there are several uh, books that are between First and Second Kings and where we're going now, which is into the Prophets. Um, the first two books are First and Second Chronicles. Chronicles are basically a recap of everything that took place in First and Second Kings. And so it's a good book to study alongside of Kings so that you can compare and contrast how one book says it versus another or it fills in a lot of the blanks. And so, but for our purposes, since we've already been through the Kings, we're not going to go back through it again uh, in the First and Second Chronicles. After that, there are a couple of books that are out of order. Um, you will see shortly after Chronicle, well, right after Second Chronicles, is Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. These books, um, the timeline for these books is actually the very end of the Old Testament. So that's why I'm going to save those books for just a couple of weeks from now. And then instead, uh, we talked about Job, which was kind of stuck in this little center section, even though we think it probably happened either during the time of the patriarchs or the judges. Some some of those, uh, one of those um, time frames. Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, Song of Solomon, those were books that we covered at the same time that we were talking about the primary author of that book. So if you recall, we talked about Psalms when we were studying King David and uh, Proverbs when we were studying King Solomon. And so that's where those come in. There are a couple of major prophets that we discussed. We discussed um, Elijah and Elisha, both of them pretty much a reflection, uh, a future uh, picture of what John the Baptist would be like and then the Christ that followed him would be very similar to Elisha, being able to do a lot of miracles, uh, bringing somebody back from the dead, etc. So um, Elijah and Elisha are the main names. There are a couple of other major prophets. Isaiah and Jeremiah are two of them and we will cover those two in just the next, right after we finish with uh, Jonah. At about the same time that Elijah and Elisha were uh, prophets uh, to the northern kingdom, Obadiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom, to Judah. And so the book of Obadiah is very short. You might want to read through that and it'll give you some idea of what was going on in Judah at the same time so much was going on in the northern kingdom. We're going to focus more on the, the northern kingdom right now because they will be the first to be utterly destroyed and taken over by... Assyria. Assyria's capital is Nineveh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The book of Jonah is towards the end of the Old Testament, and there are lots of other prophets, uh, books of uh, minor prophets back in the back part of the Old Testament. Um, Jonah just happens to be the next one that's in chronological order. I'll give a brief rundown of the other prophets 
before we finish the Old Testament. But for now, let's just look at one story because it's a story that you probably have heard about, at least somewhat. Either growing up you learned it in as a story or um, perhaps as an adult you heard about, you know, Jonah and the belly of the whale. And if that rings a, a bell, that's the story we're talking about today. You may have had a little difficulty finding the book of Jonah, so if you needed to go to the front of the student Bible and look in the uh, table of contents, that's just fine, because Jonah is only four chapters long, and it is after Amos and Obadiah and several of the other, like I said, minor prophets. Uh, let me see what's after it. Micah's after it, and I think that might be the last. Oh, Nam's after it, too. Um... It's, it's pretty well stuck there in the middle of the Old uh, Testament pro, uh, minor prophets. Okay, ho uh, if you get a chance, turn to that now, and we will uh, begin by a brief summary of what is happening in the city of Nineveh at this time. When we meet Jonah, he is going to, well, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, so you wonder, well, what is it about Nineveh, and where's Nineveh, and why were they so much worse than any other place that God has decided to destroy them? As mentioned, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. At this time, the city of Nineveh was uh, a great city. Uh, it took quite a long time to just to get across the city. It was actually made up of several smaller cities. And as you uh, entered the city, many times the Great Wall around it would have some of their recent conquered um, victims, the heads of those victims, sort of um, stuck on little sticks around the outside of the uh, wall. And so we see that this city is, you know, it's a very vicious city, and it's located right along the Tigris River which is located in what we would call our current day Iraq. If you remember when we studied Abraham and how he followed the Tigris River up and then down into Canaan, uh, you can look in your maps in Mesopotamia area. That is where Nineveh is located. Now Jonah, when he gets this message, is actually in Israel. And he hears God's voice telling him to go and preach to the people of Nineveh which at this time is a very big city and they're enemies, major enemies. And so I can certainly see why Jonah would have questioned why God is asking him to do this. And not only that, but Assyria had all kinds of um, intentions of taking over all of the land between where Nineveh is all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, which means their intention was to totally take over all of Israel, uh, Judah combined. And so when Jonah gets this message from God, he's just a little bit reluctant to go. In fact, he's so reluctant that he decides to head the opposite direction and goes to the seaport of Joppa and gets on a boat that's actually heading across the Mediterranean Sea and north to Tarshish, which is part of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And on the way, a great storm blows up the boat that they are in is tossed to and fro and the people the sailors all begin praying to their various gods and really trying to appease uh, the god of the sea uh, Poseidon probably whatever it was that they worshipped at the time and eventually the captain goes and wakes up Jonah who's asleep in the in the 
hull and says, Jonah, you need to get up and pray to your God too. After all, who are you? Are, you know, what, who do you worship basically? And Jonah explains that he's a Hebrew and that he worships the God of the land and the sea, the God. As soon as he says this, the other sailors are suddenly very frightened thinking, okay, what have you done that God's so angry at you? And he tells them, well, they decide to cast lots to see who really is causing the gods to be so angry. And of course, it falls on Jonah. And so they turn to him and say, what have you done? He had already told them he was running from his God. And they basically said, well, what do we need to do to appease your God? And he says, just throw me overboard. Well, the sailors really don't want to do that because they think if they've gotten this sea god mad already he's really going to be furious when he they throw over one of his worshipers so instead they say no was there something else we can do and they try to avoid it they throw cargo over trying to lighten the ship finally jonah just says no no it'll be all right so they they basically ask the sea god not to condemn them for their act and they throw jonah overboard and when Jonah is thrown into the water he sinks deeper and deeper in fact chapter two is his recollection of sinking into the water and of feeling the seaweed tangle around his neck and of of thinking okay this is it I'm going to die but God causes a great fish to come along and swallow him now many people say oh I don't see how that could happen this couldn't be the case there actually is um, documented cases of people being swallowed by like a large sperm whale those are the whales that have the huge heads and surviving so it is definitely possible that and that's where we kind of get idea that idea that it was probably a whale because of course they do breathe air they're a mammal and so um, sure enough Jonah is swallowed by this whale and while he's in the belly of the whale he starts praying to God to basically saying you know I'll I'll do whatever you ask me to Um, with the song of Thanksgiving I will sacrifice to you you know, he's basically saying, I realize that I made a mistake and I want to live and I want to do what you've asked me to do. So chapter three, Jonah gets uh, spit up by the whale onto dry land and decides, okay, he's heading towards Nineveh. It takes him a little while to get to Nineveh. And once he gets there, he begins to preach to the people. He starts saying, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Okay, this is a pretty strange response, you've got to admit. They don't know who Jonah is. He's just some strange uh, Hebrew that's walked into their city and begun preaching, just a street preacher. And yet they take what he says very seriously. I find this so amazing because you know how many times you've tried to convince people you love that there is a God and he wants to have a relationship with them and they just slough it off, let alone coming in and saying you're going to be destroyed by this God and you have 40 days to repent. All the way to the king of Assyria, they bow down and say, no, we, you know, we're going to repent because God may yet forgive us. In fact, the king demanded that not only did all the people fast and put on sackcloth, that they put sackcloth on the animals and ceased to feed them. So um, sure was he that this would happen and unless they could change God's mind. I just find it amazing. I'm sure that Jonah did too. At least you would think he would find this quite strange, except that we find that in chapter 4, 
Jonah gets mad at God and says, I knew this would happen. Well, I don't know if he really knew it would happen, but I think he just so disliked the Ninevites. And now, because he went and preached to them, God, and God changed his mind, God, not he didn't really change his mind. He just relented. He basically told Jonah to preach this and then came back and said, okay, I'm not going to destroy the city. He, pro- he wasn't, hadn't intended to destroy it at this time uh, all along, but you know, the fact that Jonah had hoped that these people might be destroyed, he didn't really want to warn them. And yet when he did and they repented, he realized, oh great, now my enemies are um, saved. They, they're not going to be destroyed. And so he's angry with God. In fact, chapter 4 begins, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Does this sound familiar? Remember last week when we were talking about Job? And Job just didn't understand what God was doing, and he said, it would just be better for me to die. Both of them are not understanding how God is at work, why he's doing what he's doing. It's the problem with humans, I think, that we think we should know what God is thinking, and we think we should be able to figure out what he's doing. And unfortunately, we're just humans. It's kind of like trying to explain to your dog or cat that you're going away for a trip and you'll be won't be back for several weeks. There's no way that this pet can comprehend that. But they look at the clues, you know, your movement, the fact that you're packing, and they get kind of glimpses of what they think is going to happen, and then they assume things. So it's kind of the same way with us. God is just much, much greater than us, and his ways are far greater than ours. So we naturally will many times respond with confusion and sometimes anger towards God. It says in verse 4 of chapter 4, But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? You see, it's funny because, you know, God was being gracious to these people. And Jonah should have known, and he did know, that God was a gracious God and compassionate. And so just by knowing God's nature, you know, obviously he'd seen and heard of the ways that God can destroy people, destroy entire nations. Uh, But in this case, he really is convinced that God in his graciousness has spared these people because that's just God's character. And so so he's mad at God. You know, I I didn't want you to spare these people. Um, But God is saying, do you have any right to be angry with me? You know, it's funny. When good things happen to us and we praise God and we think, oh, God has been kind and good to us, we love it. But when the same thing happens to our enemy, We don't love it. We think they don't deserve to be blessed. They don't deserve to be forgiven. But God is um, no respecter of persons. You know, he loves equally. And because of that, when we have somebody we hate, our response should be, if we want to be like God, to be far more compassionate and forgiving as well as in the way that God is. So we see that in the towards the end of chapter 4, a strange thing happens. Jonah is so mad, he crawls up on this hill outside the city, 
and it's kind of hot and this vine grows and it kind of covers him and so he's feels the relief because there's the he's sitting in the shade now of this vine and he's happy about that and so he's starting to feel a little better but sure enough the next morning he wakes up and a worm has chewed through the vine and it's been destroyed and it's hot that day again and he's sitting in the hot sun so once again he's mad at God I love this part of the book of the you know of Jonah and of the Bible because we are so like this. Our emotions tend to totally predict or dictate our theology. How we feel about God is so subject to how we feel and not so much how God is. It is our natural way of wanting to interpret, just like I said about the pet, trying to interpret what the master's doing. We try and do that, but we read into it things based on our emotions. Instead of being able to step back and seeking to see things through God's eyes. And Jonah was just not willing to do that. All he could see was that God had sent him there and saved his enemies, and, and now he was making him suffer in the hot sun. The, the last verse of Jonah ends with a phrase from God, actually a question, where God is speaking to Jonah. Let's look at it in um, verse 10. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than a 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? It, um, God is reminding Jonah that he loves people, he's concerned about them, and just as Jonah had been concerned about this vine for his own good, for his own selfish purpose. God is reaching out to these people who, you know, he thinks still have a chance. And they do. Now, later on, we will realize that Nineveh, this is a short-lived um, revival in their spiritual walk because it's not too much longer after this that God sends them another prophet. He sends them Nahum, which is just a couple of, uh, actually just the book after uh, Micah which follows Jonah and in it he it's sometime quite some time later and he's telling Nineveh okay I've given you chances and you it's time for you to, you know to pay the piper more or less that you were going to be completely destroyed so the fact that God is giving Nineveh a chance here and this is a big deal because because of this um, reprieve that Israel has it allows it basically protects the people of Israel and Jonah doesn't even realize this because Syria could easily have come down and destroyed all of Israel at this time but part of their repentance is a withholding of their natural bent towards wanting to take more and more that wasn't theirs and so what Jonah doesn't realize is he's actually saving his people um, but Jonah can't see that from this from his perspective from this spot in history. One of the challenges I think we have is that we can only see the world from our time frame. If we're lucky when we study history we can get a glimpse of what it um, what it would have looked like from another time frame but we cannot see what life is going to be like in the future and so we make predictions based on what we know and the sad thing is we don't know all that we think we do, all that we need to know to be able to actually see the future. But God is at work, as he always is, and even in the life of Jonah. This is a short book, so we won't take much time with it, but I do want to point out that 
um, the reason people turn back to Jonah again and again, he is mentioned twice in the New Testament. Jesus reminds us that just as Jonah was swallowed by the whale and was in the belly of the whale three, night, three days, that's what will happen to the Son of Man, which he is foreshadowing that he's going to be crucified and light is going to be in the grave and then will raise on the third day. Now, about a hundred years later, Nahum will preach to the people of Nineveh that they will be destroyed by a great flood. And sure enough, this, this is what happens, but not before Assyria has a chance and actually does take over all of the northern kingdom, all of Israel. And we will get more into that in just a little bit. But for right now, you have kind of a historical perspective of where Jonah comes in and what is going on at the time. Uh, in, in setting up for what will actually be the, the destruction of Israel. So Jonah doesn't even realize that God's reprieve then allowed there to be a, a time of repentance for Israel. If they had chosen to repent, and there were other prophets at this time who preached to Israel and said, you must repent, you must change. Um, but of course they don't, you know, they, they choose to go their own way. And because of that, uh, eventually God allows uh, Nineveh, well, Assyria, to take over all of, of the north. Okay, we're going to stop right here. I want to take just a, a quick little look at some of the other prophets and what was kind of going on at this time. Um, let's see. Jonah, we think, was, he's referred uh, to right about the time of 762 B.C., and it's at this time that King Jeroboam is the king of the northern kingdom. And uh, he's the son of Joash, which we talked just a, briefly about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's pretty much the next prophet that follows Elisha. But then we go to several other minor prophets, Amos, Hosea, um, who else? And I think basically Amos and Hosea are the last ones of the northern kingdom before it is taken over. Um, Amos, in his book, which is just right, right either before or after uh, this book, it's probably just, yeah, it's just a couple of uh, books ahead of Jonah. Uh, he preaches God's judgment on ju injustice. It sounds like Israel was pretty um, corrupt at this time. It's certainly their um, judges and so forth. And so Amos is saying God is going to bring his judgment upon Israel and you better return right now to the Lord and repent. Uh, King Jeroboam at this time uh, really doesn't have any intention of listening much to Amos. And so the kingdom continues on the way that um, it had continued until this point uh, with some good kings, mostly bad, and really in the northern kingdom nearly all of them were not good kings at all. Uh, well, for the rest of the uh, Old Testament, basically, the kings just um, one right after another do evil. They uh, make alliances with uh, foreign uh, countries, like uh, particularly Egypt, to try and get them to help them. And it doesn't do any good because eventually the um, Lord just brings his judgment on the northern kingdom and he uses the uh, Assyrians to, to do just that. Okay, we're going to stop here. Next week, 
uh, I am going to cover the story of Isaiah, and that will and move us a little bit into Jeremiah as well. Both of those two are major prophets. And we'll talk just a little bit more about the prophets of the southern kingdom, since there are a few more of them. And then we will close out um, with the, um, the time of exile, the prophets during the exile, when Israel is completely taken over and there isn't even any more Judah. So in the meantime, I encourage you to go ahead and read some of these. They're short. I mean, some, like you saw, Jonah is only four chapters long. Amos, very short. Nahum, very short. Uh, just take some time to read some of these, and I'm sure a lot of it will seem kind of strange and repetitious. Uh, but if you can keep the overall perspective that this was Israel's last chance to turn and to follow God, he had given them so many chances before, and now it was, okay, if you're going to be my people, you know, you need to follow me. Otherwise, you're really not my people. And I think it's a great lesson to us today to remember that God gives us lots of extra chances. But it's up to us to take that chance and make the most of it. And I think many times we keep relying on God's grace without realizing that his patience, while he is long-suffering, he's not long-suffering forever. And eventually he punishes those he loves as he ha will Israel, and you, as you will see. Okay. So thank you for your listening today, and I encourage you to check things out in your student workbook. And if you um, want to check the website, it's www.basicbible101.com. All right, thanks, and see you next time. <music>